Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layers podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. Today, we're excited to have Elizabeth Bennett, Vice President of Global E-Commerce and the Meal Hero Program at the Kraft Heinz Company. Before Kraft Heinz, Elizabeth spent 15 years at Amazon across a number of responsibilities, culminating as General Manager of Business and Technology for Selling Partners, where she focused on e-commerce growth and innovation. So we could say that she definitely is an expert at e-commerce. Welcome to Hidden Layers, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I'm excited to be here. So Kraft Heinz, I mean, it owns the supermarket. You know, a lot of people, when they think CPG, well, at least in the marketing business, they think, oh, Procter & Gamble and Unilever. But really, when you go to the supermarket, every, something in your, in your shopping cart is probably going to be owned by Kraft Heinz. I mean, we're talking about Kraft Mac and Cheese, Velveeta, Heinz Ketchup, Kool-Aid, Capri Sun, Cream Cheese, Philadelphia Cream Cheese, Mustard, Grey Poupon, Jell-O, Oscar Mayer, Planters Peanuts. I mean, these are all huge brands in and of themselves. And they're all part of this single company now. So tell us, tell our listeners what it means to be head of global e-commerce for this massive company across all these brands. Sure. Well, I'm very glad to hear you have many Kraft Heinz items in your grocery cart. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the Philadelphia cream cheese as a staple in our household as well. And so so really my role is, just think about it as a business unit role, which is how do we follow our consumers? And as they shift to uh, different purchasing behaviors and habits, how do we not only serve those, but ideally anticipate and kind of surprise and late as we're going along the way. And so, you know, figuring out how do you sell fresh and frozen items online? How do we ship items directly to consumers? All of those pieces is really what my team is at a very high level focused on. So are you talking direct to consumer or are you also a part of the distribution channels of the Amazons and the Walmarts and the Kroger's and how they're shifting. Well, Amazon, Walmart, of course, have a lot of online, but how yep. Kroger and Albertsons and those people are, are working on their e-commerce. Exactly. We work with all of our retail partners on how do we grow this business? And we really think about it holistically. So yes, there's an e-commerce business and yes, there's a more kind of traditional brick and mortar. I go into the store business, but at the end of the day, they're one business. It's how do consumers shop? What do they need to know about the products to ensure that we can provide the food they need for what they're going to cook for their families? Okay. So, so just to be clear, you do, you have a, a direct to consumer strategy and business that you are, your e-commerce for you is working on. We mostly focus on through retailers. So okay. Walmart, okay. Amazon, Albertsons, still in the blank. Got it. Okay. So then, so then I think this is always the, the interesting part of working at a CPG company where you don't really own the, the end user or understand who exactly they are. You have to work through the retailers. How does e-commerce when you when you don't own the logistics of you know delivering to the consumer, how does that work? when you're working with a Kroger and Albertsons? Because I think that's an interesting thing for, for people to hear about. Yeah, so I do think it's, it's, it's a balance and it's certainly shifting and there's a lot of new models. I think in this model where you sell to retailer X and then retailer X either allows the consumer to research, buy, and and either deliver or pick up online. And so the, the piece is it is really a joint consumer, right? It is the retailer's consumer and it is our consumer as well. 
And so where I think our responsibility is, is to make sure that that consumer has everything they need for their journey. So from the beginning of understanding the content and what the product is, how big the product is, how many, if it's a case of mac and cheese, how many boxes are in there, how they can use the product to making sure that the product is in stock and whether that's in stock to be shipped to their home or whether that's in stock, it's going to be picked off a shelf and they'll drive through and pop open their trunk and in go their grocery and the, the technology needed to ensure that, and that ultimately then we can uh, target those consumers again with repeat purchases and show up personalized to say you bought X, you may also like Y. I think that full life cycle is really part of what we do, and it is very much in partnership with, with the retailers. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so, so whereas before you would ship product to a store, they'd put it on the shelf, people would look at the label and then they, you know, they make a decision. Now you're talking about them doing that all online. So you have to have the data, right? You have to have the content, right? So can you talk about that piece? Like, how does that all work? You know, I'm, I'm interested in that. Like how, who, yeah. uh, you know, I, I actually used to work uh, for CBS Interactive. We owned CNET and CNET actually had its own company that would deliver all of that data that Amazon uses for the specs, mm-hmm. for the specifications of uh, the new television or the mobile phone, or they standardized that and had a whole business to distribute that. Like, how does that work in CPG? Yeah, it's interesting. It's amazing to me how many people are involved to just get content (laughs) online for this. And so if you think about it, we start as we are building both products and pack sizes and making sure you are taking pictures and have the right content of both the end end consumer products. So when the, the, you know, the Philadelphia cream cheese is on your bagel, what it looks like, as well as what the package looks like. We then work to syndicate it to retailers. So how do you get the content ideally automatic? Some retailers are, some aren't with, you know, API feeds and whatnot so that Mm -hmm. that flows through. Then you have to think about how do you kind of leverage search engine optimization and what that looks like. So there are actually many companies, teams, data involved just to get what what should seem like a very basic pieces of information to the end consumer, right? So that when you log on to retailer X, you can see all the ingredients and you can see what the cream cheese swirl looks like and, you know, what your mac and cheese looks like made. It is somewhat fragmented still. I suspect at some point this will be much more seamless in the industry but because we're early on in this journey. And so we develop our content. We also work with some agencies to develop our content. We work with a, a, a number of outside agencies that help us syndicate the content to retailers. And then we also work to optimize and understand what different content resonates and why and kind of testing and learning along the way. So it is not, hopefully it is seamless for the consumer. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that goes on. Okay, so I would expect that COVID, whatever was happening before COVID in the space has only accelerated massively since then. Is that is that the case? That is correct. I think as we saw this big shift, which, you know, two, three, four, five years, whatever it was that the industry kind of moved overnight to online, the need to make sure that you have all of the elements in place for the consumer to understand what they're buying has become even greater. Right. I mean, this isn't just data. This is really marketing. I mean, it's yes. content, but it's really marketing, it seems. So now now that I understand what's going on, it seems like the content, the pictures, 
all of these things, the better you are at it now or were right as COVID was beginning, the more share you'd have of, of wallet of, of, of shopping cart. I mean, is that, do you, do you feel like it's that competitive and that? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's all about prioritization and this is where you can use data to see which items do you need to optimize? Where should you have engaging content and video and interactive versus where is static? How do you launch new items online? What does that look like? And it's it's very different when you walk in a traditional grocery store, you walk down the aisles with your cart, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's an online equivalent to that, but there is some impact everyone can have on what you see versus at a grocery store, you're going to go to whatever aisle you're going to go to. And so to me, the overlay of content data, you know, Instax, all of those pieces end up being part of the inputs into marketing and what that looks like. And because you have that purchase history online that you can then follow up and the stickiness becomes much higher of if you first bought product and it's in your cart, you can do an automatic click to refill it again, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like versus in store, you're starting with your cart empty every time. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bunch of different levers that you can pull to, to kind of keep that flywheel going, if you will. Yeah. So, so I've done some shopping on Amazon for CPG products, but in general, Amazon's pages seem to allow a lot of different levels of content. And I'm just wondering if that's the case. I, 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 right now I'm living in Florida. And so I go to the supermarket. I don't, I'm not getting delivery. Used to get delivery from Whole Foods when I lived in Manhattan. But, you know, this, this whole idea of content on like Kroger.com to look down and, and, and see videos and things like that. I'm not familiar with that. So how different are each of these retailers online capabilities and how do you have to work with each with the content? Does the content work with almost everyone, et cetera? Yeah, so there's definitely a range of kind of capabilities and also a range of automation of which retailers can you automatically send content. You can have a direct feed versus manual interventions. And so I would say, again, because we were early on in this journey when this all happened, that 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 uh, what I would say is for, C, for, for any company doing this online, you really have to understand the retailer-specific nuances right. and what that looks like. And I think, I suspect, you know, two years from now, things will be much more standardized and much more automated. But I think right now there is a lot of catch up that we're all trying to play and all trying to serve consumers in a way that makes them feel safe. So for you, you you want to go to the store, right? And then it's our job to make sure our products are on the shelves and you can buy them and understand them and find them. It's the same for the consumers who say, I, I want to have this delivered to me or I want to buy online. Um, whatever retailer they feel most comfortable buying with and they want to have that experience with, we want to make sure our products show up best in class. And so it is our responsibility to kind of uh, understand by retailer where they're at and help influence those capabilities and timelines to, to drive this consumer experience. So e-commerce platforms, software, et cetera, it's pretty, it's pretty complex. And these companies are all pretty big companies, these retailers. So have you seen certain retailers able to respond more quickly and upgrade their capabilities more quickly because of COVID or, or do you feel like, Hey, whatever they had before COVID is what they still have. 
No, I think you've seen a lot of changes in this space. I think even at the beginning, you know, Instacart added hundreds of thousands of shoppers so that they could ensure more, more order delivery times. People, so people have done resource changes. I think people have done technology changes. So how you register what's on the shelf so that if a consumer is doing click and collect, which is you do your shopping experience online and then you drive in to get your groceries, uh, that we can ensure we're not doing a bunch of high replacement items. So you ordered item X, but it's out of stock and you get item Y, right? And so I think there's been, you know, a significant shift. There is still such a long way to go. And I think for the consumers who had not participated online before this pandemic and tried it, you know, right when this started. So I think in, you know, February and March, the experience was so bumpy. And you, I, you know, I remember trying to walk my 70 year old parents through an order and they couldn't get an order time and they were so frustrated. And so I think we've come a long way as an industry. I still think it's early on in the journey and there's a lot of improvements that can be made. So that brings up an interesting thing. I, I, we at Cognitive, we work on generalization capabilities, basically predicting consumer behavior, but we do that by generalizing consumers, right? So mm. this consumer looks like that consumer, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that we talked to one of the big retailers at one of the big supermarket chains about was the problem they were having with the, the substitute, mm-hmm. right? You know, I ordered these tomatoes and I got the, not them, I got something else. And they really weren't the same, right? I'm wondering, is that some, is that a problem that you, with your data, you can work, you help retailers work towards, or is that simply their systems and, and their shoppers and things like that? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the root cause of, of, of that, it's, it's around out of stocks, right? right? And so I would say that's where we, and again, I am incredibly proud of our factories who have been working more than 100% of the time to really ensure that there is enough food out there. But we've had to make tough choices and we've had to, you know, the, the, the demand at times and for certain items is greater than the supply. And so I think some of that is root cause. How do you fix that? And then how do you get better at knowing the right like items? So knowing if your tomatoes were out of stock, this is a terrible example since I don't know anything about tomatoes, but <laughs> maybe knowing, you know, product can, X is out of stock, can, I, can versus fresh or I, uh, I let, let's talk about, let's talk about Philadelphia cream cheese. Okay. Philadelphia cream cheese has spreadable. Yes. But it has traditional. Right. And you don't want spreadable if you want traditional, right? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I do think for manufacturers though, it's substitutes within their brands, but also you can think about a substitute to another brand or to right. a private label item. And online, once you've substituted that, the consumer may have liked that substitution. They right. may not have. And you've lost the consumer. Right. And so how do you understand that? How do you get back to that? Which is kind of why I started with the root causes of, you know, out of stocks and how challenging that is, because some consumers are incredibly brand loyal. Some, this was their first time they were going to try it and you substituted and they just aren't going to come back. And so understanding that full funnel and the impacts and where, where we as manufacturers can speak to those consumers is is complex, it's costly. And so we have to do a lot of testing and learning because we don't know the secret sauce or the secret formula 
of when someone's going to respond and be brand specific and not, which is why I think in this space, you have to build really vulnerable teams that are willing to move very quickly and be very vocal when they've made a mistake, which you have to do in this space. We just don't want to make the same mistake twice. Right. And, and so that, that sort of brings up customer intelligence, you know, understanding your customers, understanding what they're buying and things like that. That's hard for a, a CPG company. So you know, it, you you were also a part of the Meal Hero program, the app. So tell me about that. I mean, that seems to be an opportunity for Kraft Heinz to get direct interaction with with brand loyal co- consumers and and interact with them directly. Sure. Yeah. I'll I'll maybe start with the first question, which is I think in general CPGs, you're right. Kind of first party data is is you know very powerful, and so whether that's my food and family and interacting, whether that's through retail, whether that's direct to consumer, whatever that is, I think it's really helpful to know the consumer preferences and to be able to use that data to anticipate other items. On Meal Hero, for us, that is really separate. It it is totally brand agnostic and it is really a technology around food intelligence and helping consumers do recipe or meal planning with connecting it and being able to buy those products. So if you are planning to make uh, uh, lasagna, having all of the ingredients and being able to then buy those online seamlessly and have that transition. So if you say you need an onion, clearly I'm not a cook. I don't know if there's onions in lasagna. <laughs> My guess is Tomatoes, no, but... <laughs> onion, basically anything fresh is not is not your thing. Let's, let's talk about uh, Oscar Mayer wieners. Uh, I will <laughs> say I facilitate my family eating. So uh, hey, look, I, I'm uh, from New York, so I, I, I understand entirely. <laughs> but yes, it is, it is really, it is not Kraft Heinz specific, nor is it brand specific, but it is very uh, consumer focused on solving some of the meal planning challenges, yeah. which, you know, start from some people actually using a, a physical cookbook to inspiration to then how do you actually get all of those items and have everything ready yeah. to some people who say, I want to start with what's in my cupboard or fridge and go from there. So I, I always think one of the greatest, you know, kitchen helping things that the internet created was that, was that, what do I have in my fridge? Give me a recipe, you know, robot or whatever they called it. I mean, yeah. that, that was exactly what we all wanted, you know? <laughs> and and I don't know, beyond that, it's just been incremental improvements, I think. <laughs> yes. It's basically what my children hate, which is when I cook, they call it, it's terrible to say, but they call it shit in a pot because I basically <laughs> take everything from the fridge and put it all together and think it's just delicious and they should all eat it. So yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's something to be said for that. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So Talk to me a little bit more about what you think the next, let's say, let's say what's 2021 going to look like for you, for e-commerce. Is e-commerce here to stay? Are people going to go back to the store? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Oh, I wish I had a crystal ball. Who would have seen yeah. any of this coming, right? We're going to um, hold you to this. Yeah, totally. I'm going to play the lottery later today yeah. too. The, but in all seriousness, I do think if you look at other industries, Food and CPG in this space have been slower online. And so I do think this was a big push. And I think for many families that previously were not comfortable online or now are shopping online, they will stay. It's convenient. They know exactly what they need to get. They can make their list. They can manage it. And so I think that that penetration we've seen in this industry will 
there may be a year of stabilization, if you will, but I think that will continue. And when you look at some other industries that may be farther along on their online journey or their kind of digital revolution, if you will, I, I think that we'll get to a place where this becomes even more. But I think this has been a really big shift for food, which had not been traditionally as, as online. And I think it's a huge time saver. It's convenient. It allows people to uh, get what they need ahead of time to make trade-off decisions. So as someone who has been shopping online for many, many years, and it, you know, every once in a while we'll grab one or two things, I think you'll see an evolution of some of the convenience plays. So think about some of the kind of quick, you know, door dashes of the world where you may be in the middle of something or you realize you're trying to cook your lasagna and you don't have your tomatoes and you can get something like that within 30 minutes. I think that's where you'll see a bunch of change and revolution because I do think that this space is, I think it's it's here to stay because it's a win for the consumer and anything that makes the consumer's life better, I can't see going away. So, you know, I, I lived in the city in Midtown in New York until, until the, the pandemic hit and then moved out to the suburbs and various places. I've been a bit of a nomad, but do you see... I mean, in the city, everything's delivered. You can go to the store, <laughs> you can shop yourself and then have it delivered to your house. <laughs> you can do the opposite. You can do all these other things. So, so the cities seem to be much, you know, we're, we're already on this, this kick of e-commerce and that's where Instacart start, started. And, but have you, have you in working with the retailers seen the concentration continue in the cities or have the suburbs really adopted this pretty strongly? What have you seen? Yeah, we've really seen um, an uptick in both. And I think some of this is, again, how the space and technology is getting there. So as retailers launch more dark stores and more fulfillment centers that they can deliver to more people, right, Mm -hmm. that that's a win. But I think, you know... We see certainly in the city some more of the convenience pieces getting picked up much quicker so that, you know, I I need my tomatoes in 30 minutes. Again, I suspect over the next few years as that technology is continued to be built out and as the costs continue to come down because of that, that that prolification will, will span to everyone. But at this point, we've seen, you know, again, suburban city, that penetration increase is pretty solid. And I suspect as an industry, if you think about 2025, which now feels at least like 12 decades away, that that penetration probably is almost double from where we'll end this year and what that looks like. Wow. So to finish up, I'd love to hear a little bit about your move to Kraft Heinz because you were at Amazon for 15 years for, I would think, the majority of your your career. So tell us a little bit about the differences and, and what attracted you to this role. Sure. Yes. I, I get this question often. And you know, really, I am a builder and I am a solver and I'm consumer first. And so what attracted me to this role was that I did not think anyone in the CPG food space had totally figured out e-commerce. Now, little did I know we'd be in this pandemic, right? But I thought it was an opportunity to be part of building that, which was super interesting to me. And I also felt like my skills from kind of being digitally native and technology forward would be really interesting at a more traditional company. And certainly that comes with some challenges as well. I'm not going to Pollyanna this one, but it, it felt like a unique time and a unique space and Kraft Heinz in particular 
on the massive transformation we were uh, making to really solve overall consumer needs and being a part of this rebuilding and turnaround of the company was super interesting to me. And so it's been a wild year, but it's certainly been been fun. And, you know, I'm really proud of the work that our factories have been able to do to produce as much product as we're able to for folks who really need this food right now. Great. Yeah. I mean, look, come, going from the king of e-commerce to CPG company is an amazing opportunity, it seems like, to transform and bring those best practices to uh, to a company that's just learning. So that sounds like you're, you're going to have an exciting time in the next 12 to 24 months. <laughs> Yes, I will say 70% of the time it's exciting, 30% of the time yeah. I'm like, oh my God, let's go. This is too slow. So <laughs> that's oh, a that's balance. Pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good for a company. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for another edition of Hidden Layers. My guest this time has been Elizabeth Bennett, Global E-Commerce Lead for Kraft Heinz. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you around on the next one.